Okay, take your Bible and go with me to John chapter 15 here this evening. Uh, endeavoring here um, to follow the leading of the Spirit. I was not planning on preaching this text this morning. I think that happened to me last time I was here. <laughs> I think it's something about, uh, I don't know, this place or me or you people, I don't know. But the Lord changes that. Um, well, Pastor shared here to start this out about the definition of revival. It's spot on. Remember as a kid, growing up in a church that really was quite dead, and we had a, an evangelist coming in. His name was John Van Geldren. Some of you maybe know him. Maybe he's been here. I'm not sure if he's been here, but uh, being as a kid, my older brother got really stirred that we needed to ask the Lord to do something special. And so my older brother was something like 17 or 18, but he asked for all the men if we could gather together on a Saturday night, several Saturday nights in preparation for the revival meeting. And we got together and we prayed and we said, Lord, do something. Yeah. Lord, do something. And, and in our minds, that looked like the Great Awakening. We were, we were expecting for the house to be shaken and the roof ripped open and people. We, we didn't know what to expect. We just, that's what we were kind of looking for. And that didn't happen. But a deep work, God did something in that, that week that uh, has been unparalleled in any other meeting that I experienced as a kid. God worked mightily because people came before the Father and said, Lord, we need you to take us deeper. And what Pastor just mentioned, I'm very stirred by that, the apparent death. The song that Brother JP just sang, Lord, I, my soul's longing is that you would do your purging, your pruning, your work in me, because Lord, I need it. May I ask you, brothers and sisters, do you feel that you have gotten dry, cold, heartless, impatient, critical? Are you holding on to just look for the end times? Are you still looking to see what God could do here? Does your family know you to be someone who's aggressive? Or does your, son, does your family know you to be someone who is patient with all men? Are you known to always have your opinions and you'll stand for your opinions? It doesn't matter to you if, if, if you lose relationships as long as you prove you're right. Are you known to be broken? Are you known to be humble? See, what we need to understand is, Father, there are times in my Christian life where I come to a place where I am needy, empty, and broken. And it's in that place of recognizing my need that I go back to the good shepherd. I go back to the husbandman of the orchard and we say, husbandman, shepherd, do your work in me. And, and that is what I believe that this week is for. We're in John chapter 15 here this morning. We're going to look at just three verses, but I want us to see who our Father is and what He wants to do in us this week. Uh, the, 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 this passage, John ch chapter 15, is a part of a larger discourse. I'm sure you're familiar with that. John 14, 15, 16, and 17, much of that is going to be written in red. It's Jesus' really final words of doctrine, theology, and just comfort to His disciples before He is going to be arrested and crucified. Uh, there's so much here, and in John 15, we're introduced to an imagery that is the, 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 the picture of the, the, um, the tree, the vine, that uh, goes into the ground and, and draws the, the, um, the power and, and the sap that flows, and, and, and Jesus is telling us He's the vine, and from that the branches are extended, which we are branches. And, and we're going to look at that imagery here, but the primary thrust of this message is to not just look at the vine and the branches, though that will be part of it. The thrust of this message is to see the work of the husbandman. 
because that is who our Father is. Look with me in verse 1 of John 15. Jesus says this. He's speaking. He says, I am the true vine. That, that trunk, that, that life source that the branch comes from. He says, I am the vine and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now... Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Just those three verses, that is going to be our text here this morning to try to understand what is, who is the husbandman and what is the role of the husbandman. The thrust of this would be, are you resisting the husbandman this morning or are you embracing the work of the husbandman? Verse 1 tells us, Jesus reveals, I am the vine. And we understand that it, the imagery here is that of a grape orchard. But if we were to put it in our context, though there probably is a lot of grape orchards down here. But uh, where I grew up, I, I'm much more familiar with an apple orchard. But it's the same concept. Where you have a tree that its root system goes into the ground. And that main trunk, uh, extended from that trunk, are the branches. The branches cannot live outside of the trunk. The trunk can live without branches, but the branches cannot without the trunk. And so it's all about getting connected to the trunk. But here in verse 1, Jesus tells us, But in this orchard setting, there is one who is greater than the vine and greater than the branches. And his name is the husbandman. And that's who my father is. So, church family, before we can look at verse 2 and understand the work that the husbandman does, truly the work that the husbandman needs to do in Victory Baptist Church this week and in Caleb Daniel Reed this week, before we can understand, appreciate, and embrace or be convicted by his work in verse 2, you have to understand who he is. Who is a husbandman? Is a husbandman someone who is careless is this husband someone who is reckless? Is a husbandman someone who gives very little thought, effort, or energy to his orchard? Or is it someone who is intricately, intimately concerned? Is it someone who prioritizes? Is it someone who's invested in their orchard? Consider this. this if, if, G, if the father is the husbandman, who is he? Imagine with me, you're getting towards your retirement age. Some of you are already at that point and past that. But so some of you need to think forward, imagining, and some of you need to imagine backwards. But imagine with me, you've hit 50 years old. It's not time for you to retire. You're saying, man, I'm still, I feel like in the prime of my life, and, but I've got, gotten sick of my job here, and, and I want to uh, get a new career that I can do into my retirement years. And so you're talking with your wife and you get this idea in your head, man, I think I want to, I want to have an apple orchard, maybe a grape, grape vineyard, but man, I, that's, that's what I'm going to do for my retirement years. This is going to be simple. I'm going to buy the plot of land. I'm going to plant the trees and it's going to be easy. I'll just do a little bit of caretaking here and there and that'll be my retirement for the rest of my life. And your wife is saying, I'm not so sure this is a good idea. But you're convinced, you're sold on it, you're thinking this is great. And so you finally convince your wife uh, to go along with you. And so then you start looking at property. And you're looking at property, you know, could this work and this work and this work. And you're thinking over here. And finally, you hear news that there's an old orchard that hasn't been in production in years. But the plot of land is there. Let's say it's 50 acres there. It's a large plot of land. There's trees there, but they're gnarled. And that you look at that property, and you're, and, and you're just the vision, the dreams are just exploding. And you're thinking, man, this is great. And you look at the price. 
And the price of that orchard is the nest egg that you have at home that your wife has been hoping would be your retirement. And uh, you say, no, honey, this is going to be great. We're going to take this and we're going to buy that orchard. Finally, you convince her and you put the money down. You buy it with cash. You're broke now, but you have the orchard. And now you get there. It's finally yours. Deed is in hand. And you're standing out looking at this orchard. And reality is beginning to set in. And you say to your wife, this better work. Because we're invested now. You're really invested, are you not? You've given everything for that. Church family, if, if I can use that illustration, so is our Father. Yes. He has not made a mistake and He's not worried, but He's just as invested. He's looking at His children. He says, I gave a lot for you. I gave my son's blood. And I watched Him agonize on that cross as a father watching his son in agony and pain that was not easy. And a father had to turn, the father had to turn his back on his son. That agonized the, own, the father's own heart. And he watched his son die. He watched his own creation mutilate his son. But he knew it was for a purpose. And the son knew it was for a purpose. And then Jesus arose from the grave. God's invested as your husbandman. He's not looking for just, look, if, if you owned that property, you wouldn't be out there going, you know, now, I'm hoping we get a meager crop to just break even. No, you wouldn't do that. If this is your retirement, you're saying, man, I want fruit. I want abundant fruit. I want a bumper crop. Man, I am going to do everything in my power. I'm going to read the arborist books and the agriculture books, and I'm going to take the YouTube classes, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to learn everything I need to do because I am going to pour myself into it because I'm invested. <laughs> And because I'm invested, this has got to work, but I'm going to pour myself into it, blood, sweat, and tears, in order to get fruit. And so is your father. He knows what we need. And he's not just looking for meager fruit. He's not content with just, well, you know, they made it through their Christian life with few bumps and bruises. We'll be satisfied. No, he's looking that his children would know the joy of fellowship and not just little bits, but would know abundant fruit. And so he, as the husbandman, enters into his orchard with sharpened tools and a cunning eye. I shouldn't say cunning, that, maybe that's a negative term, but a, uh, but, but a careful, trained eye. And he comes with carefulness. He, he knows how to prune. He knows what disease sprays are needed. And then if he's watching attentively, he knows there's, this one tree's not doing well. And so then he's going to go and, and find out what he needs to treat that tree. And, and maybe he notices that there's some young buds on the tree that's being eaten by deer. And so he'll pay the money to an erect offense. But what I'm trying to communicate is the husbandman is going to do whatever he can with a careful, trained, intimate eye to the smallest of details because he desperately wants fruit. That's who your father is. Do you realize that? Any work, we're going to look at verse 2. This is where we're going to spend the most of the time. But anything in verse 2 that we look at is not coming out of a father who is careless it is not coming out of a, out of a, from a father uh, who, who is haphazard. Anything that we look at in verse 2 is coming out of a father who cares deeply and is invested and wants you to grow. Did you know that your father is pursuing you for the purpose of growth? Not just so he'll get a bushel of apples from you. Just so he'll get a bushel of spiritual growth. But he knows that the greatest joy in your life is that you would bear fruit. And so the father, knowing what is good for you, what is good for the vine, what is good for the kingdom, he is invested heavily in pursuing so that you would grow. So that's who your father is. So now let's look at verse 2. 
This is what he says. This is his work. We understood his character. Look at his work. He says, every branch in me. Now, let me just stop right there and just, let's just notice this. Who are branches? According to this illustration, Jesus is making it very clear. There's, there's th three beings involved. You have the tree trunk, the vine. You have the branches and you have the husbandman. The husbandman is clearly who? Who's the husbandman? The father. God the father. Who is the vine? Clearly. Jesus. Now, who are the branches? Okay, now, now uh, let me back up a little bit. You said us. Believers or unbelievers? Okay, do we see that? Because that is very important to understand. The branches are talking about believers. Now look what this says. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Did you know there are times when branches stagnate and don't bear fruit? But if you take in your critical mentality that it is your responsibility to be the tester and the inspector of everyone's salvation, you will conclude that if you don't see fruit, they're not saved and you write them off. And this is what God is helping us with. There are times when my branches don't bear fruit. Do you know what salvation is? Salvation is not making a bad man good. Salvation is making a dead man alive. Amen. So instead of our role being to inspect for fruit, we should be looking for signs of life. There was an evangelist that I heard speak last year, and he made the comment, and it was very helpful to me, about when he got saved, I think he was saved as a, maybe as a bus kid, something like that, and, and uh, he had no one, no one discipled him, no one invested in him. So for all of his teenage years, he did everything the world did, because that's what he lived in. He went to the public school, so he was listening to the world's music, he was watching the world's television, he was dressing like the world. He was a worldly kid that if a critical Christian who views themselves as God's gift of fruit inspection had looked at him, they would have concluded, hey, we don't see fruits. But the truth is, as soon as he got under a revival meeting where someone began to preach and the Spirit began to work again, the signs of life were shown. The man came alive and he uh, repented and yielded to the Lord. What I'm saying is, church family, we will stagnate when we view ourselves as God's right hand of providence to be analyzing everybody else. And oftentimes that attitude is a result of someone who's not growing themselves. And so to make themselves feel better, they feel like they have to look at other people. The person, and I don't, the pastor has not said me anything, it said, said anything to me about this, but church family, what I have found multiple times, the person in the church who is the most vocal about analyzing people's fruit is the person who's the most dead themselves. And they're not helping anybody. You don't help anybody by walking up to them and saying, I haven't seen fruit. Well, you ought to go to them and say, hey brother, have you felt the Spirit's convicting? Can I put my arm around you and take you to the husbandman? So he tells, tells us this, every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Now look at this. This is what the husbandman does. He taketh away. Now that word taketh away has two understandings in the original language. It can be translated two different ways. And, and even when you look at it, you say taketh away, what does that mean? Well, one way it can, be, it can be taken, one way it can be translated is the idea of cutting the branch off and removing it altogether. And certainly, that is what a husbandman can do. And if you look at, uh, later on, I think it's verse 8, 
excuse me, verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So clearly in verse 6, that imagery uh, is accurate. What God is saying, there are times when if my child, my branch, because of stubbornness, because of a lack of humility, because of pride, but if my child will not bear fruit, I have the prerogative and I can remove them. And sometimes I do. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, God makes it very clear. You're not going to lie to the Holy Spirit. And, it, and it, is so my, it is my prerogative. I'm taking out both of you. And what that did is it caused fear among the believers and a holy reverence for God. And I just want to say, church family, God can do that again today. And maybe you know someone who he's done that to. <clears throat> I remember hearing a young man give a testimony, or maybe it was his parents, I can't remember which one, but basically gave the testimony that as the parents were raising their young son, they began to pray, said, Lord, in your sovereignty, if you know that this boy is going to run away from you, if he will walk away from you, God, we ask that you take him young. I thought, whoa, that's a strong prayer. And if I was a boy being prayed over that, I think I'd want to stay straight, you know, on that one. But clearly what the parents got a hold of is, Father, we don't want your, our child to blaspheme your name, and we're asking that... You have the right, if, if they will not bear fruit, take them young. Now you might say, that seems harsh, but God says there are sometimes the people who sleep because they've, they're living in sin, and that is a reality. But another, there's another way that that word, uh, taketh away, can be translated, and that is the idea of lifting. So that taketh away could mean cutting it off, separating, or it could mean lifting the branch. If you've ever worked with uh, any kind of agriculture or, or done any reading on it, you will find that there are some branches, if they are not mature enough but have grown great fruit, if they are overladen with fruit, the branch will begin to drip, or excuse me, uh, drop, droop. And as it begins to droop, if that fruit or that branch touches the ground because of overladen fruit, it begins to, if it touches the ground, it will no longer grow. The branch won't grow. The fruit won't grow. It will actually rot on the tree and will end up being useless. And so a good, attentive husbandman who notices that one of his slender plants is beginning to droop, what he will do is because this immature branch has grown so much fruit, that fruit is going to hurt it. What the, what the farmer will do is he'll come with that forked stick and he'll lift the branch and prop it up so that he can support the branch for continued growth, maturity, and fruit bearing. And that's also what your father does. Did you know, church family, there are times when you find yourself, uh, maybe you found yourself, you've, you've grown so much and you've begun to become arrogant in your growth? Man, I've been leading people to the Lord. I was asked to sing a special. I'm teaching a Sunday school. My kids haven't rebelled. Wow, I'm doing great. And that pride begins to hinder us. And so God, in His goodness, comes along to deal with us. Or maybe you find yourself drooping under the pressures and the difficulties of life and you think that, man, I'm about to go under, I'm about to hit the ground and rot. And so God in his goodness sends a message or a person in the church, someone sends you a card, there's a phone call or a text, and it's God's way of lifting you and reminding you the husbandman is still here. Amen. That is who your husbandman is. He says, if you're not bearing fruit, I'm not just saying, hey, man, I am done with you. Although it, it, there are times where he does say that if the person will not, if the person refuses to grow. But I believe the heart of Jesus is not first to cut, it is first to lift. And then cut if he must. Any good husbandman will tell you that. If I can resuscitate and help that branch, I'm going to do it. That's my primary goal. If I have to cut, I will. But look at this next word. Every branch in me, he says, that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And look at this. Every branch that beareth fruit, 
Okay, so that's good. This is a branch that's healthy, that's growing, it's bearing fruit. Likely in this room, that's most of us. And so we're, we're glad about this, okay? We're not immature, we're growing, we're bearing fruit. Look at this. Every branch to me that bears fruit, he, what's the next word? Purgeth it. Now, now, now that doesn't seem right. I was bearing fruit. Why do I need to be purged? Well, what's going on here? Now, this word purging has two understandings. The word purging can, mean, can be translated as cleansing, and it can be transla translated as pruning. And, and you say, well, which one is it? Well, like the previous one, I believe it's both. Jesus has just finished, in, in, in what's happened in this narrative, he has just finished washing the disciples' feet. After he gives them verse 2, look what he says in verse 3. Now, he says, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And I believe he's trying to help them with that understanding, that imagery of cleansing. Because he says, look, if you've been bearing fruit, you need to still be constantly cleansed. If you've been growing, you do not grow to the point of spiritual maturity where you don't need the cleansing any longer. No, it only increases your need for cleansing. And so he tells us in verse 3, you're clean through my word. Did you know the Bible commands us to always abide under the cleansing waters of the Word? Could I ask you, brothers and sisters, do you give significant time in your schedule to the cleansing Word? See, what I found in my own personal life is the people who are the most active for Jesus, the most busy for Jesus, are some of the ones that are easiest to neglect this because you're doing so much for Jesus that you run out of time to be with Jesus. I've also found that the ones that feel that they've gone beyond, they don't need to be as active anymore, uh, the first thing that gets crowded out in their schedule is the cleansing word. You know what happens when you no longer have the cleansing word? You get dirty. You get filthy, unclean. And that's why the Word is so powerful and so important. Let us not minimize the power of God's Word. There are some times where you'll hear a teenager say, well, I don't understand it. It's the King James, or it's just, it's just empty to me, whatever the case may be. When you hear those thoughts, or maybe you've been in that place, you can actually minimize, you can start thinking, well, you know, it is, maybe we just need more preaching. Maybe we need more Bible study, but just reading it, can that really be that powerful? God says it is a living Word able to change men's souls. Have you given time to the Word? My grandfather, and I don't know if I've, I don't believe I've told this story here, but my grandfather, uh, he lives in Waco now. When I was a young boy growing up, getting to know him, my grandfather was a very rough, gruff person. I enjoyed being around him because he was family, but you were always a little bit on guard in case something went wrong, when something went bad, because he was just going to be edgy, rough, and gruff. And as a little five, six, and seven-year-old, you really, you're really affected when someone's on edge. My grandfather had a, had a rough life. Uh, three marriages. His, his first wife, they were married for 23 years. And uh, he believed at one point that he was called into the ministry, but a number of decisions and, and really just carnal thinking led to that divorce. He got married to another lady and did not realize that she was a drug addict. And that marriage quickly, I think within two years, that marriage ended in divorce. Finally, marrying a third, really coming to the end of his spiritual rope, marrying a third lady and 
which has been the lady he's been married to now for nearly 30 years. Uh, so I grew up with her as being my step-grandmother. Uh, my grandfather would tell you that he made a lot of dumb, carnal decisions in his life. When he retired and moved to Florida, though, he was a dairy farmer for all his life. When he, when he moved to Florida, he got into a church that was powerful. The man was a good man, and he preached about the power of the Word. One day he was preaching, and my grandfather has told me this story several times, and the, the, the pastor was talking about the power of God's Word. And this church, it's in Florida. It's, it's a largely retirement age church. And so he's preaching about the power of the Word. He said, okay, how many of you, 60s, 70s, 80 years old, how many of you have read through God's Word cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, you've read through God's entire Word one time, raise your hand. Hands go up everywhere. Probably if I was to ask the same question, it would be the same here. My grandfather told me, he said, hey man, I, I did Old Testament survey in college and I did New Testament survey and usually I have to read through both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I read through that whole thing. So I raised my hand. I've done that. And the pastor says, oh, that's good. How many of you have read it through three times? My grandfather says, well, you know, probably, you know, in all the years that I've been in church and all the Bible reading I've done in all my life, I've probably collectively, he's kind of embarrassed at this point, I probably collectively have read it through three times, so he got his hand up there as well. And the pastor says, man, that's good, hands up everywhere. Okay, that's good. How many of you have read it through five times? Seven times? Eight? Nine? Ten? Hands have dropped everywhere. There's no one's hands are up any longer. I mean, ten times to the word? And this is what the pastor did. My, my grandfather's told me this several times. The pastor turned to the largely retired age church audience and said, shame on you. You're all retired and have all the time, discretionary time in the, word, in the world, and you can't give enough time to God's word. You spend more time on your television than you do the word. He says, shame on you. And my grandfather said at that point, he said, I was under such great conviction, I hung my head. Because I knew, God, there's, I, have not, I have not spent time in the Word. Because too often we look at this and say, it's a book. And we don't realize the spiritual power of God's living Word. He said, at that point, he said, I decided I'm going to be in God's Word. He, he, his, his endeavoring, what he was trying to do was 10 chapters a day. He said, but God, I will not miss a day being in your Word. That was about 15 years ago or so. Since that time, uh, my grandfather has been consistent in his Bible time. Whenever I've been with him, I'll get up what I think is early, 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, and whenever I wake up, there's always the light is on in the kitchen, and there he's got his special lamp and his magnifier over his super large print Bible, and he's out there reading. And the last time I asked him, which was I think last, beginning of last year, I said, Grandpa, how many times through the Word? He said, I just finished 52 times. Would it surprise you if I told you my grandfather is a different person? His music has changed. His attitude has changed. His spirit has changed. His language has changed. His criticism and self-righteousness has changed. My grandfather is tender. We're, we were just with him two days ago. My, my little son got a splinter in his hand. And normally my rough and gruff grandfather who grew up on a farm where you break a bone and you set it yourself and get back to work. <laughs> My grandfather's over there taking the shoulder of my little boy saying, it's okay, Gilbert. Your daddy's not trying to hurt you. And I was sitting there thinking, this is not the grandfather I knew 20 years ago. <laughs> he is a changed man because of the word. He challenged his stepson who was nearly 40 years old and was still living at home. 
He challenged his stepson, son, you need to get into the word. Pops, he says, you know I don't read well. He says, I'm going to get you Alexander Scorby's audio Bible and you just listen to it. And so John took him up on it and began to consuming hours of scripture as he would drive. He had a long commute back and forth and he began to consume hours of scripture. And guess what it began to do? Change the stepson. Remember my grandfather telling me on the phone, he said, you're not going to believe it. He said, they asked John to teach Sunday school at our church. He said, I couldn't believe this. the most backwards boy I've ever met. And John's there teaching Sunday school. He's now actively involved in the church. He said, then they had an all-tithe Sunday. He says, my son, my stepson, he gave his entire week's salary to the, to, to the church because he wants to be obedient to Christ. And he says, man, I'm just telling you, it's because of the power of the word. Please do not tell me that you can be a good Christian and neglect this word. I was talking on the phone with a man not long ago, and, and he says, look, come on, man. He says, I, I'm just trying to do life there. I, if I missed my Bible time a few days, it can't be that big of a deal. I don't have to spend that much time. I think it's overrated, and this is what he says. I just have to go and show Christ to my kids. And I wanted to say, bro, how do you think you're going to when you don't even know what Christ looks like? You cannot walk godly. You cannot have patience towards all men. You cannot be ready to witness to someone. You cannot be ready uh, with, that, with that humble response if you're not in the living word. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is for those who have been bearing fruit, you need to be cleansed. May I plead with you? Would you sacrifice? If you've not been reading the word, it seems like a sacrifice at first. As you grow, you'll realize it's no longer a sacrifice. It's a pleasure. But it'll start as a sacrifice. Would you sacrifice just 15 minutes? Sacrifice half an hour. Would you get into God's Word and not speed read it to get it done so you feel like you did your fast wash? I'm asking you to soak in the Word. Oswald Chambers would often tell his Bible college students, you, you need to just soak in Jesus Christ. Just go to soak. Just let him wash over you. Fathers, I plead with you. If the word is not regularly present in your home, the fruit is going to dry up fast. But cleansing is not the only understanding of the word purge. It also means pruning. And this is where I'll finish. Pruning. Now, I don't like the word pruning, do you? Because to me, pruning looks difficult. Pruning looks painful. What, what is pruning? Pruning is when the husbandman comes to his tree and he takes his knife or his loppers, whatever the tool he has, it's sharpened, and he looks at the branch and says, this branch needs to go. And the branch might have buds on it. The branch might have actually borne fruit last season. But the husbandman knows this branch is not needed for the future growth. And so the husbandman, with that sharpened tool, cuts off and removes a branch. To me, that looks painful. And oftentimes, I assume that when something painful has been allowed into my life, it's because I've done something wrong, right? When we were kids, if you had good parents, when you acted up and disobeyed, your parents would inflict pain, probably on your rear end, because that's biblical. And pain was associated with disobedience. And if you were disobedient, you got a spanking or some kind of discipline because you did something wrong. Did you know pruning is sometimes painful? And because pruning is painful, and because discipline is painful, we find ourselves running from pain. 
running from challenge. And we find ourselves, especially if you don't know the nature of who your God is, we find ourselves complaining, frustrated, and wondering where God is instead of realizing that actually that pain and difficulty he allowed in your life is his hand of mercy because he's pruning. In other words, church family, if you are being pruned right now, it's not because you did something wrong. It's not because you haven't been bearing fruit. It's because you have been. It's because you have been growing. It's because you've been doing right. It's because God sees in you and knows that you're going to move forward and there's more things that I want to do with this person's life so it is necessary that I allow something in them to bring the next level of growth. Have you ever found, found yourself resisting the work of the husbandman? Now, Lord, no, 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 this can't be right. Lord, I don't like this. I don't like how it feels. And we can find ourselves resisting the life-giving work of the invested husbandman. Imagine with me if a tree could talk back to the farmer. The tree's out there in the orchard. Man, really proud. I, man, I've grown. Look at these branches. They're full. The fruit isn't very big, but it's full, man. Look at all this. And the husbandman comes up to that young tree, knowing it's, it's budding large amounts of little apples. And the, the wise husbandman knows, look, I'm going to need to remove about half of these branches in order to, to prioritize those, those few main shoots to really get rich, full fruit. And so the husbandman walks up to that first branch with his loppers, and he's about to cut it off. And the branch says, ah, ah, ah. Not that one. I like that one. <laughs> and so the husbandman moves over. Okay, well, then I'll try to take this one. Ah, no, 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 no. My mom gave me that one. Can't touch that one. Okay, well, let me move over here. No, 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 no. I paid good money for that one. Can't have that one either. And if the farmer listened to the branch, he would never prune. And you know what happened to the tree? It would die. At least it would stagnate. It wouldn't grow fruit. If you, I did a little bit of study in the horticulture world on this, for this message. Farmers will tell you, you can do without disease sprays. You can do without pesticides. You know, your organic stuff, they're not doing a lot of those maybe harmful sprays. You can do without those and still get a crop, but you cannot do without pruning. It's necessary. It's imperative. It's needed for the health of the tree. Could I ask you, church family, has God, God brought something to your attention and said, my child, that branch needs to go? Have you resisted him? It's like this. You come to revival meeting and God begins to deal with you about your entertainment choices. And God says that magazine subscription or the app that you downloaded or your Hulu account or your Netflix account is hurting you. If you want to keep growing, it needs to go. And you say, no, 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 no. That's the way we, that we wind down. That's how my wife and I spend time together. You can't touch that one. Touch something else, but you can't have that branch. And you know what we just told the, the farmer? Hands off. And if he does go hands off, your fruit is going to stagnate. It's when the Spirit comes to you and say, says, that, that music is hurting you. You need to stop listening to that. And too often what we do is we plead our Christian liberty or we say, if it had been a problem, why didn't you tell me back three years ago? It wasn't a problem three years ago because you didn't convict me about it. Why is it, not, why is it a problem now? This can't be right. God, you, you, this isn't right. I remember hearing a young person say to me, look, I'm not convicted about it. It can't be wrong. Well, guess what? Sometimes in our growth, we have blind spots. And the Lord knows that if I reveal to my child all the things he needs to change, 
all his weaknesses that he needs to grow and he'll probably jump off a bridge, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show it to him when he's ready. Three years ago, you weren't ready to hear about that Netflix account. But you've been taking some huge steps of yielding and surrender. I've begun to use you and now, my child, I want to take you a step farther and this is hindering you so this branch needs to go. So in that place, when God begins to speak, what are you going to do? I, I, church family, I don't know all that I'm supposed to preach here this week just yet. But if the Spirit of God is good, He's going to bring application that hits home. What are you going to do with it? When the Spirit of God reveals your stubbornness, your lack of brokenness, your pride, your anxiety, your lack of submission, when the Spirit of God reveals those areas to you, the areas of disobedience that God has revealed to you over and over and over again, and you've pushed them away, and you're content to live, because at least you teach a Sunday school class, and you're content with that kind of fruit, and God is saying, I want a bumper crop. What are you going to do when the application comes? I'm not asking you about what my words say. I'm saying, what's the Spirit? When the Spirit speaks to you this week, what are you going to do about it? Would you be willing to embrace the work of the farmer? I'll finish with this. The story is told uh, of a little old lady that was in a, a church and a young preacher was coming to preach a revival meeting. Before the services, she told the Lord, she said, Lord, anything you touch this week, it's yours. I want to go all out. Go all in. Whatever you want to say. I'm yours, Lord. After the conclusion of the Friday night service, she came to the young evangelist and she said, Young man, you did a great job. I'm really glad you're leaving. <laughs> he said, Well, why is that, ma'am? She said, God did a lot more cleaning than I realized. She said, Last night, he even touched my soap opera. I never thought he'd touch my soap opera. She said, but I told the Lord I was going to let it go if he touched it. And last night, the Spirit of God touched it. She said, that's why I'm glad you're leaving because I, I don't want to give up anymore. And I understand and I can, can resonate with that Spirit. But what she was communicating is the Spirit of God worked and I gave in. Brothers and sisters, what you will find, and some of you have experienced it abundantly, is that every time I say yes to the husbandman, it just gets sweeter. Man, it gets better. Do you want a bushel of crab apples or do you want some rich gala apples? Do you want a, a bushel of apples that are only fit for deer? Or do you want the ones that people would give money for? What, what I'm trying to say is, would you yield to the husbandman? I, in the invitation, we're going to have it right, right now. In the invitation, here's what I encourage you to do. Would you be willing to say, now Father, if you would be so willing as to touch me. I'm just a branch, and I'll let the husbandman do its work. Father, you touch it, and it's yours. You speak to me, God, and I'm all ears.